Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Change on the Run podcast, where we discuss common change challenges and ways we can address them when you're short of time. I'm your host, Phil Buckley. Today's topic is remaining calm under pressure. Change projects are natural pressure cookers. Multiple teams working on different activities with different timelines often conflict over the resources they need to deliver the responsibilities. Misunderstandings and frustrations are natural and to be expected. So how do you remain calm under pressure so you can be your best in stressful situations? And my guest today is Nina Purewell. Nina, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. I'm thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you. It's great to have you. Nina is the founder of Pure Minds, a company that conducts mindfulness and meditation workshops for corporate and public sectors. She is the best-selling co-author of Let That Shit Go, a no-filter practical approach on how to find peace of mind and happiness in every day. Nina has over 12 years of corporate marketing, sales, and cause marketing experience within the consumer packaged goods industry, including being the general manager of TerraCycle, an innovative recycling company that has become a global leader in recycling hard to recycle materials. Nina, I'm sure you've been in so many stressful business situations over your career. What's been your experience with remaining calm under pressure? Yeah, that's a great question. And I feel like it's been quite the journey in my entire career, but I've learned now to really lean into mindfulness tools to stay calm. So what are the big ones for you? Because I'm conscious that there's so many tools out there for every skill that we try to master. What are the ones that are particularly useful for yourself. So mindfulness is all about being in the here and now and being in the moment. And when you are present, that is when you're going to be more focused. That's when you're going to be more efficient and more productive. And so I find when I get really stressed out, the most important thing for me is to hone in on the here and now, because right now we live in such a distracted world with email notifications going off and the phone and, you know, just natural stressors. And so I find I'm usually getting, you know, mentally out of hand when all these things are pulling at me. So what I need to do is get back into the here and now. So I would say there's three things I lean into. So one is taking some very deep breaths. And I know, you know, that's a common thing that people say is, oh, go ahead and take a few deep breaths. But the technique is really important, taking really big, deep belly breaths. I'd say five of them will get you to a good headspace. So if you're walking into a meeting, if you know, you get an email that is maybe not so nice and you need to respond, take a couple of deep breaths before you do, and you'll be in a bit of a more clear headspace. The second way to get really into the here and now is to actually lean into your senses, which is something, you know, we don't often do unless we're out in nature or we're on vacation. But even if you're, you know, sitting at your desk and you're feeling, you know, your heart racing or, you know, your mind going, a great way is to just take a pause. What am I seeing? What am I feeling? What am I hearing? What am I smelling? And if you do that, you acutely get into the moment. So that's another great way to get into the here and now. And then the third one, so a little backstory here. When I was working in corporate, I took a year sabbatical and went to Northern California and studied mindfulness, meditation, classical, spiritual philosophy, if you will. And there I got some really good tips on how to be present. And that was all easy because I didn't have to deal with work and I didn't have to deal with the stressors of the everyday. I was in the middle of the, you know, redwood forest and it was peaceful and it was great. And then I came back into the real world. And that's when I started working at TerraCycle as a marketing director. One of my teachers came to visit and I said to him, this whole being in the moment is impossible. 
you know, when you're in the real world and you have stressful jobs and you have a mortgage and you have all these things going on, family, balance, how do you actually be in the moment? And he gave me a very practical answer. He said, start by speaking out loud what you're doing. Okay. So he said, let's say you're doing the dishes. You know, your dialogue is going to go something like this. Now I'm picking up this pot. Now I'm putting soap on the sponge. Now I'm cleaning this pot. Now I'm rinsing it with water. And I know it sounds absolutely crazy first when you start this, but it, it teaches your brain how to be in the here and now. So just kind of speak out loud or think in your mind what is actually happening, right? So, okay, right now I'm just picking up my computer and I'm about to type and I need to respond to this email and it gets rid of a lot of the mind chatter. So putting that technique on to say you're going into a big meeting because those always were stressing. They still stress me out. You know, there, there's some key players there or you need to get something approved so you can move forward. So the, the heat is on. So in that last preparation that you have before you go on Zoom in these days, or you would have gone into a, a boardroom, let's say, would you do the same thing? I'm, I'm reviewing my notes one last time. Would it work as well in that context? Yeah, that's a great question. In that situation, you know, where you're not doing the dishes or you're not, you know, doing something at home, there's a lot more external factors that are playing a role that can definitely stress you out in that situation. And so I definitely think it's a really great tool to leverage while you're at work because what's happening is we think about 60,000 thoughts a day, okay, on average, 60,000 thoughts a day, that translates to 42 thoughts a minute. So our mind is constantly going. And when we're in the working environment, it's probably on, you know, higher alert than, you know, when we're at home. So the key about mindfulness and getting to the here and now and why it's so important is to kind of shift through all that mind clutter. You know, think about when you're walking into the meeting, you're thinking, you know, how is so-and-so going to react to what I'm saying? you know, am I going to sound smart enough? You know, is what I have to say valid? How am I going to sound? You know, I feel really nervous right now. Like, is there going to be donuts at the meeting? You know, like your <laughs> mind is going a million miles a minute. And so, yes, using this technique can definitely work well. If you've done everything you could to prep two minutes before the meeting, you're not going to learn, have any major breakthrough. So two to five minutes before the meeting, just take that time to say, okay, now I'm picking up my notebook. Now I'm walking into the meeting room. I'm taking some deep breaths as I'm walking in. Oh, there's so-and-so from finance. Like just go in a state of observation versus getting involved in all your thoughts. One of my teachers used to say, always try to be the eye of the hurricane. The hurricane of life is constantly going to be swirling around you. And the more you can be in the center of that hurricane and just observe what's going on instead of being caught up in what's going on, the easier life is going to be because you're not going to be taken on all these whims and fancies of the mind. You can just focus and be an observation to everything versus getting caught up in everything. How would you approach it? You're in the middle of the meeting and, and something comes from left field like it, it's a zinger yeah. i remember once i was in a meeting it was a big meeting and someone said is there something fundamentally wrong with change management and this big thing and it just threw me for a loop and, and i wasn't in the eye of the storm i i was i was very much in the fight flight freeze or appease right. mode how do you guide yourself when there's something that you didn't expect that comes in that just throws you for a loop yeah, that's a great question. I think first is you can't control it. It happened, right? Because you spend so much time, I can't believe this happened. What am I going to do? What am I going to say? There's a whole chapter in a book around acceptance. You can't control so much of the external. So, okay, somebody said this comment. So the first thing you want to do is, again, accept that this comment has been said. And then the second thing you want to do is if it is a valid comment, 
respond without any ego and just accept that, hey, maybe this person has something important to say. If they don't and they're just trying to throw you off, then you can also respond. The thing is when you are more mindful, when you are more present, when you're more in the moment, things affect you less. All the little subtleties of relationships and oh my gosh, I can't believe he said that and what am I going to do now? That kind of simmers away and you focus on the task at hand. And the task at hand is always what's best for the business. It's not about my agenda or their agenda or them trying, trying to throw me off. You're having a conversation. And so I think the more mindful you can be, the less thrown off you are by, you know, those little incidences that happen because you assume everyone's being genuine and you're all genuinely trying to do what's best for the business. I so appreciate that. I didn't take that approach at that time <laughs> and it, it didn't get better. It really was a misunderstanding from my part. And then realizing that, you know, four hours later, just complicates it and it takes a lot longer to correct. And your book is so great. And when I first read it, I took 18 pages of single space type notes. So I, I went oh through them. Goodness. I know it's like, wow. And, and one of the parts that, that I, I had underscored and, and bolded were your comments on expectations that, you know, the expectations you hold and perhaps it is connected to the ego of this is going to go well, this is going to go poorly, whatever yeah. that is can get you into trouble. Do you have any comments? comments about that and, and some suggestions of how you manage what you think will happen in any situation. So there's a hundred tips in the book. And I think the one you're referring to is expectations cause frustrations. And this is a really interesting one because we talk about how, you know, often these 60,000 thoughts that we think are either made up of thoughts of the past. I wish this didn't happen. You know, this should have gone differently or thoughts of the future. When is this going to happen? How is this going to happen? I hope this goes well. But when we're in the past or we're in the future, where are we not? We're not in the present. That said, you know, we live in a very practical world. I'm a female entrepreneur. I'm a businesswoman. I have to think ahead. I have to plan ahead. You know, I've been in roles where we plan to five, 10 years out. And so that's a really important key thing to do. I'm not saying, you know, always just sit in the Zen space in the moment you have to think ahead. That said, plan ahead, do it strategically, but don't be attached to that plan because it could completely go exactly as you planned or it could flip on its head. I talk about the book even in context of my life. My 25-year-old self wouldn't even recognize my 35-year-old self. You know, I had all these plans of how life was going to be and when this was going to happen and I was going to be, you know, all these things in my career and nothing. Honestly, Phil, nothing went <laughs> to plan. Everything flipped on its head. Some in, in very, you know, challenging, tragic ways and some in incredible ways. I had no plans to write a book and here I am the best-selling author. So I think build those plans, but the key to not having expectations is not being attached to the result. My mom used to say, do your best and leave the rest. Plan it out, go for it, create, you know, all the magic for the future and then let go. And that's where the letting go part is really important. It's just, that's where the expectations come in. Don't, don't go in with expectations, just you've done your best. You put it out there and see how the cards fall. I think you had said in, in the book, all you can control is your response to the external mm -hmm. environment and what happens. And but how do you become good at it? Because I, you know, I, it's, it's fascinating. There's, there's so much about mindfulness and, and so much about how to manage yourself that's logical. It makes sense. And it's almost like you going back from your retreat and coming back into the to the hurricane. And, mm -hmm. and, and how do you become focused on being able to trigger the better response when there's so many things swirling around your head? That's a great question. And for, and for me, in this mindfulness practice, it's really about awareness. 
you know, aware, being aware of your mind. A studies came out that said, we are aware of less than 1% of our thoughts and 80% of our thoughts tend to be negative. We are constantly thinking these 42 thoughts a minute unaware of what we're even thinking about and suddenly we're triggered by something or a situation at work is really weighing on us and we can't sleep and we don't know why and a lot of this happens subconsciously so the moment we become aware of our thoughts and in the book we, we refer to it as the chatty mind versus the observing <laughs> mind the more we observe what's happening with our thoughts or observe the hurricane swirling around us is the moment we can take a step back and go whoa, that's just a very small part of me is my thoughts and my anxiety and my anticipation and my expectations and my worry and my fear around all these things. You know, it's not actually my core of who I am. So the more you kind of become aware that these are all just thought forms and thought patterns versus actual things that you can really own and stress about, the better you can kind of create some distance and surrender, if you will, to what is versus, you know, all the stories you create in your head. You know, going back to sort of the stressors that we get when it, we're in, you know, business situations and happening. And again, this is from your book, but, you know, you make a point that not everyone's going to like you. And I remember my dad, I was, must have been 21 years old. He said, you know, Phil, you're going to meet some people that just don't like you. And, you yeah. know, which is, which is hard for me to deal with. Like, I want you to like me. Um, totally. and, and he said, you know, it, there's just no rhyme or reason, but they're just not going to like you. Could you share just your views on it? Because it was very helpful for me. Yes, a thousand percent. I struggled with that so much in my career. I wanted to please everyone. I really disliked if someone didn't like my idea, didn't like my thought. I had a manager once tell me that they actually put me on global projects because I can please everyone. <laughs> you know, I had a really hard time saying no, had a really hard time putting my foot down to always try to find a balance. So I really struggled with people not liking me. And I actually had an epiphany moment thanks to my partner. We were walking, you know, so he was in California with me and we were walking the Redwoods and I was going on about someone back home. So you can escape to the Redwoods or the mountains, but your mind and thoughts are going to come with you. You got to deal with them. I was going on about someone back home. I don't know why she doesn't like me. And I've tried to do this and I've tried to do that. And he turned to me and he said, Nina, someone shot Gandhi. And I was like, what? Are you even listening to what I'm saying? Where are you? <laughs> Turns out he was actually paying acute attention to what I was saying because he was, he went on to say, you know what? Look at the person he was. He was a freedom fighter. He you know, fought for India through nonviolence, India's independence through nonviolence. He was loved and revered by so many people. His quotes are still, you know, relevant today but somebody didn't like him enough to, to shoot him, right? And he said, if somebody doesn't like Gandhi, someone's not going to like you, you know? <laughs> and you need to be okay with that. You need to own that. And, you know, as I've gone along in my career and even and wrote this book, I had many fears around, you know, what are people going to think about mindfulness and swearing? And, you know, but I just thought, this is me. I spent many, you know, years in sales. So I've got, a, I can have a little bit of a potty mouth, but this is who I am. <laughs> you know, I am mindfulness and I do curse sometimes to, to vent and get that out. And I need to just own who I am and people are either going to come on the ride. And if they don't, that's okay. You know, that there's a saying, what, what people think of you is none of your business because people mm. you are going to have people who come along with you and you're going to have people who don't like what you do. And that's inevitable. There's nobody in the world out there that has the entire population that is, you know, adores them. That just doesn't exist. So I think being more and more comfortable with do what's true to you do what's authentic to you do you and then whoever wants to come on that ride great who doesn't that's okay that's totally okay 
took me a long time to, oh, to realize boy. that. You know, it, it's still a, a challenge for me, but it's great advice. And it, and, and it is a, an inner strength to say, that's just the way it is. And and I have to move on. And, and again, if you try and please everyone, you're, you're really not being your true self. And you're probably not adding a lot of value because you're, you're not taking strong stands. You're not having an opinion. You're just trying to be the chameleon that gets along and be liked. Totally. And I was a chameleon for many years. And you know what? The interesting thing is we have this exercise in the book where if you're sitting in a meeting room or around the dinner table at Christmas or Thanksgiving, all those awkward family, big family <laughs> get-togethers, have a moment where you go around and each person in your head, you kind of think through how they perceive you, you know, because you'll have Jimmy who thinks you're incredible and puts you on a pedestal. You'll have so-and-so who thinks you're totally out there and cuckoo. You'll have so-and-so who thinks you're such a nice person. You'll have, so everybody has a different perception of you. And so the only perception of you that really matters is your own. If you have a value system that you feel good about and you're honoring yourself, that's all that matters because everyone else is going to have something to say. Great. And so what do you do in a situation where you realize that you just see someone just doesn't like you? And then I think as you had mentioned, like they remind you of someone they met 10 years ago or right. you, you look like a, I don't know, a TV character that, that killed the heroine or whatever. And, yeah. uh, and that's just the connection that they've made. And you have to influence them as part of your business role, but you don't have that relationship credibility that can be so important to influence people going forward. That's a tough one. And I think the important thing there is, is again, taking the ego out of it and just keeping it professional, just keeping it professional, letting go of their perception and their perspective of you. And when you do have any type of interaction with them, just make it about the business. And even if, you know, as you walk into their office, or as you said, dial into Zoom, if you know you're about to have a meeting with this person, you might notice your heart racing, you know, physical attributes, your heart racing, you're sweaty, you're, you might have butterflies in your stomach talking to this person. That's all personal. Um, and so try to just kind of breathe through that. And when you have a conversation with that person, you know, they're a positive contributor to the business and so are you. So that's what you want to just go back to focusing on because you cannot control what they think. So that part is, is the letting go piece. Excellent. And, and have you ever, confront is the wrong word, but have you ever approached someone where there just seems to be sort of that, you know, force field against you that it's not happening? Is, is that something you'd recommend or not given, you know, it just seems like we're not clicking here or, you know, everything I say you oppose. Have you had that experience or, or would you even address it? Or would you just do as you're saying, which is, hey, it's all about the business. We have a joint goals. Let's just do the right thing for the business. I think it's a situation by situation solution, if you will. So I just posted about this on LinkedIn the other day, the importance of mentors. You're one of my mentors. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. That was great. Thank um, you. Yeah. And I think having mentors is really important because what you can do with mentors is if there is a challenge uh, with an individual, you can go to your mentor. You want to, you want to have a mentor who you can really, really trust, right? And say, Hey, this is happening with this person and maybe this mentor is even more senior than you. So they have more perspective or visibility to certain things and, you know, lean in and, and, and with someone you trust and say, Hey, is this worth a conversation battle or not? Because there are going to be people that, yes, definitely I've run into situations at work where, you know, I find people challenging and in some situations it's worth having a talk through and being like, what's going on here? Let's just work it out and air it all out and have a conversation and be mature about it. Let's think of the business. And then there's some people whose personalities, it's just, it's not going to work. They might not be open to it or they might just have something, you know, going with you that you can't control again. And then that's where you just kind of 
again, keep it at bay and keep focused on the business. So I think you kind of have to know what you're getting into if you want to have an open conversation about what's going on, because to some people that can be very intimidating and off-putting and create a worse situation, which you don't want to do. So I think the important thing is knowing what you're getting into and making sure that that person is going to be receiving what you're saying versus just creating more more drama, if you will, out of the, the whole situation. From your perspective, and again, back to like the big meetings or the presentation or you know something where there's a lot at stake and you're trying to be mindful and you're in the moment. And then after the meeting, sort of that sense of post-analysis where you're going, okay, how did it go? Was it good or not? What I find yeah. is I start getting into the negative, you know, self-talk and oh. whatever. Yeah. Do you, any tips for anyone about that? Because it is the, now you're living in the past. And I think as, as you said, that can lead to depression. But I yeah. think even that, that how do you, how do you be the best learner to say, hey, this went well, this didn't go as well. What can I learn from it without the hurricane going around of, you know, I shouldn't have said that, or I, I laughed in it yeah. you know, at the wrong time or whatever. I was the master of this. Like I would come home and like literally talk to my husband for an hour about like what I said in the meeting and did I sound stupid and so-and-so reacted like this and so-and-so reacted and how do you think that sounded? Oh my gosh, should I have sent that email? Could have, should have, what if that was me? So now what I do, and you know, I go into to companies and I, I talk about mindfulness and meditation, not every single person. I mean, we've gotten incredible reviews and, you know, a lot of people, you know, 90% of people say it's relevant to their job. And, but I know there are certain people in the room because a lot of them are at off sites and whatnot who might not be feeling it. And, and I, again, me being wanting to please everyone, I always go back and think, well, did everyone get something out of this? I really <laughs> wanted everyone to get something out of this. You know, how did that resonate with so-and-so? And so I think the first thing is, is the, the self-talk, feeling good and being positive about all the, the good that you did receive and then also being open to continuous improvement so I try to always send a survey to all of my clients to get that feedback and you know if it's that one comment out of 100 people I'll take that in but what's different now is I don't let that comment own me and, mm. and I also focus on what did go well because before I'd have an amazing review and you know one thing is said that is like, you know what, you know, you could improve on that. And it was like, that's all. That's my whole review. Is that's all. That's all I cared about. That's all I thought about. That's all I stressed about. And I think it's important now to acknowledge what did go well too. And and if, if it is the one thing, okay, fine, I can do this different next time. But also make sure you give yourself kudos for how it did resonate with people or the impact that you did have or you know what did go well because yeah, there, there might always be that one person or that one incident or that one presentation that feels a little off kilter. So don't beat yourself up for it. Work towards positive change and, and continuous improvement. But when you beat yourself up, you're not being productive. You're not improving. You're just going to, to a challenging headspace. And any any uh, thoughts or recommendations on you've done that? Where do you kind of put the line in the sand saying, I'm never going to think about this again? Because I at least what I find is then it will it will, you know, eventually peter out but i'm i know i'm wasting time where i've already made sense of it but i'm right. still going on in my head and it's like how do i change the record yes. so that i i'm not wasting time because i've i've realized the value you've learned the, yeah I, I just read a quote the other day the lesson will keep showing up until you've learned the lesson ah okay um so when you've learned the lesson and then you continue to belabor yourself mentally about, you know, why do we continue to think about this and talk about this? That's where the awareness comes in. The awareness of what the pattern of what's going on, because we actually have become addicted to our 
negative, I, I put quotes because I don't think any thought is good or bad, but our challenging thoughts, we've actually become addicted to them. There's quantum physicists that talk about how we get a chemical rush every mm. time we think a negative thought. So what's happening is even though you might have solved the issue, your mind is so used to going back to that thought it can't help itself. And, and again, a very valuable um, lesson from one of my teachers in California is we've been thinking these thoughts and we've had these thought patterns for so long, sometimes from childhood, from something a parent said, or, you know, a, a crappy coach or a teacher, and they, they kind of stick with us, like the I'm not good enough, or I sounded stupid, or, you know, whatever those thoughts are. And then they come with us into adulthood. And becoming aware of them is a great first step, but getting rid of them is, is a process. You know, and, and my one teacher said, it's almost like a couch on carpet. You know, if you put a couch on carpet and you leave it there for 30 years and suddenly you move it, you'll have those grooves, right? In the <laughs> yeah. carpet. Um, and that's what's happened in your mind. You have these grooves of these patterns that you're so used to thinking. So you have to slowly, and it takes time, right? For that carpet to go back to plush and brand new looking, you have to brush out all these grooves. So the first step is awareness that you're actually doing this to yourself. And then the second step is to replace the thought to say, okay, so the thoughts coming up again, I'm aware I'm using my observing mind to be aware that this thought has come up. And now I'm going to replace it and say, you know what, Phil, you learned the lesson, time to move on. You know, you right. almost have this little internal conversation with yourself to, to move through it. And, and again, you know, I've been studying mindfulness for 20 years. I still have negative thought patterns <laughs> that I'm working through. You know, I ask a lot of my clients, what's the first thing you say to yourself when you look in the mirror or when you walk into a meeting or when you're about to present, are you smack talking? So again, awareness is the first step. And then once you're aware of it, then you can do something about that thought. And, you know, we have a whole exercise in the book about how to replace those thoughts. So they're not so jagged and jarring and repetitive all the time. And I'm wondering, you know, the spirit of change on the run is that we don't have a lot of time off and, and that if we could focus on sort of one thing that would give us that 80-20 benefits in, in, mm -hmm. in the, the least amount of time. Is there one thing that you would do, again, if you're short of time and there's just one thing that would help you remain calm, what would that be? Being present. Because when you're present, you can think more clearly you can focus, you can be productive in your next step. Because if you're not present, you're thinking of all the, if you're, you know, let's say you've got to make a business decision in, in 10 minutes and you have, you know, five different functions that you need to consider. You know, if you, if you take a couple deep breaths and you're in the moment, your, your, your level of concentration, your level of awareness, your ability to problem solve is going to be a lot more clear than, oh my God, am I going to upset this person? And how is this going to affect ABC? And, you know, you're thinking, oh my gosh, I, you know, I have to make this decision in 10 minutes. Even that thought is a waste of a thought, you know, or if I'm in a really stressful situation, like, you know, let's say we're about to launch a workshop and suddenly the speaker's not working or the slides aren't working. It's like, okay, problem solved. Let's go into every, it's that whole, you know, every problem has a solution. So just go into the present and what can I do in this moment to solve this versus all the clutter that we tend to cloud it with. Well, the one thing I found that is helpful in, in that business environment, and, and again, a lot of the public speaking and, and you know, something goes wrong and, and you're, you're stuck, is to stop that negative trajectory, I think like you're saying, and to almost take control of the situation by just stopping for a second. And, and if it's in a, a big meeting to say, well, let's just take a step back. And which is, I think, is a good quote from your book too, and, and say, well, this is what I'm seeing. There's a gap here. And then 
how about we resolve it this way? But it's almost taking control instead of being on the roller coaster going down, but you're just trying to kind of connect things that are, are seemingly disconnected so it doesn't get worse and worse. Because I find for me, it just, then you start, you know, your heart palpitates, you, you start you know, perspiring, it's, it's, and then, and then you've completely lost control. But if you can... Yeah pause it for a second, then hopefully you can regroup because if not, then I find I, I just keep going in the wrong direction. Totally. And that's exactly, it just kind of snowballs. And then, you know, suddenly you're in the situation where you don't even feel like you have control anymore. Right. But the observing mind is, is like a muscle. The more that you lean into it, the more you're going to be able to, to leverage it. So the more you become aware that, oh my gosh, I'm thinking these thoughts, my heart is racing. That's your cue. You know, you'll have personal cues, right? Of going into that spiral mode where you start to snowball. Well, if you become aware, then you can say, oh, okay, I noticed this is happening. Let me just take a breath, take a step back, and then, you know, deal with the, the situation at hand versus getting caught up. And I'm just wondering, just sort of as we're closing off the show, just any any observation or watch out or, you know, just something that you'd like to leave the listeners with that would help them to stay calm, you know, in, in pressured situations. I'm going to totally repeat myself. But what I think, again, is most important is awareness of your thoughts. You know, there's a big misconception of mindfulness that you have to stay present 24 seven, you know, and it's like you're sitting in the Zen mode in your office and you're always in the here and now. And that is not how mindfulness works, especially in the today's world, you know, where we're so influxed by, you know, technology and multiple points of interruption. It's like our minds are constantly going. So the more that we can be aware that this is happening, the more that we can, you know, do something about all the, this clutter and all these thoughts that we are, we are thinking. So I think if people are in a really, really stressful situation, the most important thing they can do is lean into that observing mind and be aware of what's, what's happening and go into that eye of the hurricane and, and they'll be much more equipped to, to deal with the situation at hand. Awesome advice. Thank you so much. And, and thank you so much for being on the Change on the Run podcast. Really appreciate you sharing your perspectives. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Phil. It was so great talking. And I don't think we mentioned this in the podcast, but we had some great years together at Cadbury. I so admire you and everything that you stood for. You were always someone that kept your values and your morale high. And uh, I always had so much you know, respect for you. And that's why I've kind of followed you all these years. Um, <laughs> so thank you for having me. It's been a great honor. Thanks, Nina. And I've learned so much from you from, from the first day we met. So thank you so much. And I appreciate your time today. How can people get in contact with you? Yeah, so on LinkedIn, I'm uh, Nina Purewal, uh, P-U-R-E-W-A-L. Um, you can get me on Instagram, uh, nina.pure.minds, or you can check out our website, which is www.unfilteredmindfulness.com. Very cool. Thanks so much again. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Charlie Buckley. And thanks to you, the listener. And if you have any questions or comments, please email me at phil at changewithconfidence.com. And for upcoming episodes, please subscribe to the Change on the Run podcast available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. And please write a review if you have the time. And until the next time, I wish you all the best as you continue to lead change.